0: Hi, I'm Gemma Kaneko, here as always with Ben Cosman. Ready for the thrilling conclusion of Bleak House? You can say hi now.
1: Hi, Gemma. How are you?
0: <laughs> I had a sentence. You could see my whole sentence. True, true, sorry. Also, I am here with Other Ben, aka Ben Gullard, who has been with us all the way through the epic Bleak House.
2: And I'm back. <laughs>
0: This week, we're talking chapters 50 through 67, which is all the way to the end of the book. Um, it's like 800 pages in my copy, probably Mine more. Is, uh,
1: 989. Wow. Yeah. yeah.
2: On the Kindle um, that I'm reading it on, it's uh, 1450 or something like that.
0: Wow. Why are there even page numbers on a Kindle? I don't know. Isn't it just a percent bar? Don't they do that too? <laughs>
2: they, due <laughs> to the percent, which is really funny, because you'll be like... Going page by page, and then suddenly it'll be like, "Oh, I've went from sixty seven percent to sixty eight percent." Nice,
0: so close to nice. uh so, so that's <laughs> where we are. If you want to listen to the previous three episodes of Bleak House, you can find that on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Cannonballs Podcast. I, I pretty much feel like you know the name if you're listening to it, but that's that's how you find it um we are a little bit late this week because of thanksgiving Mm. um we we were all giving thanks and eating food and not dirt like everyone in this book uh so uh (laughs) it is time for everyone in the book to get their story resolutions there are a lot of different characters um i would just like to read something from very early on in the book um That that I realize now, in retrospect, is the whole thing. It's about page 200 for me, 204 in my edition, which is a Bantam classic edition. And this is what Dickens writes about all of his characters. What connection can there be between the place in Lincolnshire, the outhouse in town, the mercury in powder, and the whereabout of Joe the outlaw with the broom, who had that distant ray of light upon him when he swept the churchyard step? What connection can there have been between many people in the innumerable histories of this world who, from opposite sides of great gulfs, have nevertheless been very curiously brought together? Ah. That is sort of this whole book is a bunch of random people all end up being really important in each other's lives, and they that's just how it kind of goes. Yeah.
2: I love that. I particularly really understood that at um Tulkinghorn's funeral when everybody started showing up.
0: Yeah. And
2: like the small weeds, like it's just like pretty much every character in this book is invited and to the funeral. Basically, they all get to
0: go to the funeral, and almost no one else in London comes. He makes it clear that everyone sends carriages, but there's no one in them—just their servants. That um, all his other clients just kind of don't show up.
2: I didn't understand. Oh, he sent carriages to pick them uh, up, and that's why they returned empty. I was trying to figure out why all these like absentee and dead people sent carriages to this funeral that they weren't going to be going like oh, to. oh we're
0: sending our that respects but like we don't actually interesting. go interesting
2: you know what what would be really helpful for someone to write which they probably already have it's just me blaming my own ignorance on somebody else is a big old book of dickensian <laughs> etiquette
0: uh, there are a couple books yeah. that like are loosely around that my roommate Danielle was reading a book i can't remember the name of it but it's about like being a woman like how like a, a lady's guide to etiquette uh, from this time period, but it's written, it was, it's contemporary writing. Um, just like about how you're supposed to behave and all those little niceties, which probably would be interesting to know.
1: When was Emily post? I
2: find that fascinating that and was. also really depressing. It is. Back.
0: It is fascinating. Um, so we talked about talking Horn's Hor- funeral. He was shot through the heart very dramatically. We uh-huh. all made our predictions. um, Let's talk about it. Uh, let's mostly talk about how I was right. You were right. You you called it. And um, it was again. the Dark Hortense.
1: <laughs> oh, God.
0: She was so angry that she murdered him. Yep. And uh, she tried to frame Lady Deadlock, which was really interesting. By sending notes to
1: Mr. Tulkinghorn that read, Lady Deadlock, <laughs> or just
0: Or just Lady Deadlock
1: with yes. no Ted- contact. I imagine them as in, like, the ransom notes of, you know, Every bad mystery show, where like mm-hmm. they were cut out of other different letters and pasted all together, just from some terrible broadsheet. I don't, know, broad I don't know if they did that in eighteen thirties <laughs> London, but maybe. <laughs>
0: Uh, so bucket the detective kind of has a much larger role in the last fourth of the book where he is actively trying to solve this crime which suddenly kind of shifts the focus of the novel that has so far been about family drama more or less or like melodrama in some sense and now it's like oh this guy is attempting to solve a murder and it's not your traditional murder mystery narrative that doesn't really that hasn't really existed yet this is like a proto version of that um and, like, Bucket before has just been, like, arresting our favorite characters that we like or, like, being a jerk to Joe, the little hungry orphan boy. So so is is Bucket a good or a bad guy in your opinion? What do you think, Ben? Either, Ben.
1: <laughs> I, I don't know. And I, this is something I struggled with uh, even after the conclusion of this story because I was really mad that he basically admits, so we last saw him, he was arresting Mr. George, who we agreed is, you know— Compared to everyone else in this book, kind of a good guy. Mm-hmm. Mr. George doesn't really do anything. He runs the shop. He's a veteran um, or a former soldier. Uh, he gives house to Phil, who is described as like a mongrelly guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I liked Mr. George. And then we see Mr. Bucket arresting him. And then a few, I can't remember when he basically admits it, but he basically admits that he never even suspected Mr. George. That he knew Mr. George didn't do it. Uh, but he rested him anyway. Mm-hmm. Basically to spring a trap for Hortense. Right. Which will get and it involves Miss, Mrs. Bucket, who sounds like the better detective, honestly. Truly. Truly. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm going to say Mr. Bucket is a wash for me. Uh,
0: not good or bad. The most purely neutral character in this book. Yeah, I think so. He's, uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I would agree with that. I think he is extremely, extremely neutral. Like, he does things so in order for him to achieve his objectives, but his object- objectives are to carry out the law. Right, right. But is it even but he doesn't really the ca-
1: law? Like, I always got the vibe that he was... There
0: wasn't really... Well, it's against the law to murder people. Right, yeah, well, I guess so. It's <laughs> the, like, Bible law, but... And, and the law of England. <laughs> Do you know that you can't murder people in England? I don't know. Yeah, I know. That.
1: But I don't know. It seemed like he... Like he wasn't working for the police. He yeah, was, he was a
0: police officer. No,
1: I thought it was he was former police, but he was he was like an independent private eye. He's right a now. police officer.
0: Sh- yes, I am sure. In this the book, concept of independent the police. police officers, like not even a th- or independent detective is like not even a thing. Like, th- he's a police
1: officer. All right, then I had a different read on him. That's fine.
2: But, that, but I think you're right in that, like his he's taking it upon himself to like go above and beyond, rather than just arresting someone for a murder and being like, well, that's it, and like. I don't know, beating poor people or whatever they did, that he has like a (laughs) true curiosity and drive to figure out actually who did this.
0: Yeah. I would describe him in, you know, our D and D alignment charts that everybody knows about. He's lawful neutral because he is going to get these things done and doesn't really matter. Like he, he, like, it's not nice to cast a sick Orphan boy into the cold. That's not a good thing, but he did it because it helped him achieve his objective, right? (laughs) (laughs) So, did not he buy off Mister Skimpole too? He tried to, yeah. Oh, yeah, he bribed him, and then and then Esther found out and was trying to explain the concept of a bribe. I'm, by the way, I'm so glad everyone turned it on Skimpole at the end because he is just the worst. Uh (laughs) Can we talk about that? Of course, Mister Skimpole writes a memoir. Yeah, he writes a terrible memoir where he's just mean to everyone who's paid his debts his whole damn life. Ugh, infuriating. Anyway, um, but okay. So, bucket neutral guy. Is he a good detective, or is he a, a, is he a good detective? And was Hortense an interesting or good criminal?
1: Uh, I'm gonna say Hortense was not an interesting criminal because I don't think Dickens was particularly interested in her. Mm-hmm. She seemed just like a plot device. I mean, we only saw her really for three scenes. We mm-hmm. saw her pretend to be Lady Dedlock to fool Joe. Mm-hmm. Then we saw her get really mad at Tulkinghorn right before she killed him and then we saw her when mr bucket arrested her
0: yeah i mean and there's a scene where she begs esther to be her maid and also she like walks across the grass with no shoes on
1: oh i forgot she was the uh the shoeless lady yeah yeah i don't i don't know i didn't i wasn't particularly invested in why she killed mr talking Horn. i i think it would have been more interesting if it was like deadlock okay i thought it, it seemed like a bait and switch purely for bait and switch's sake
0: uh Ben Gullard, what do you think
1: Um
2: about their merits as like literary characters or
0: yeah and and also whether it was satisfying to you to read about it? It wasn't
2: really that satisfying because I felt like what modern like detective literature does a really good job of is like letting you in on what the detective is like deducing and how. And with a lot of this, it was like, aha, I have the answer, but I shan't tell you yet. And (laughs) also a lot of, like, Bucket is really super mean to people. I guess maybe by modern standards, but he seems like he's always talking down to people that are of lower class than him. And even talking down to people that he's trying to get information from. I don't
0: know. Yeah. I I didn't
2: really find much satisfaction in it. And I think that Hortense's character's development could have been really good but again dickens doesn't really develop it because he's not that interested in her
0: yeah she sort of is i think at the time too i read this book uh, this year i think early this year called the invention of murder and it's nonfiction, and it's about real criminal cases in England and the UK at the time that inspired various dramatic adaptations, or kind of formed the public imagination and appetite for true crime stories, which we uh-huh. all still have today. Um, and also, so and this book is t- talked about a little bit in in that uh, piece of writing because of mr bucket and because of these crimes like there are a lot of things in it that were in the papers at the time like trying to throw a pistol in the lake or like and even like the identity swaps that happen a little bit like let's put on someone Uh else's clothes and then everyone will think i'm them which is not related to the murder necessarily that has happened um and that that the way that dickens wrote that chapter which is just bucket telling you everything that happened as opposed to like putting clues throughout the preceding part of the narrative so that the reader could figure it out is very much how like broadsheets were written at the time about those crimes, which is like this horrible thing happened and here's how and why. And obviously this immoral person poisoned it, whatever. Like it was just very straightforward in that way, which I think is kind of
2: a direct violation Um, of a good writing. uh, Guideline of like, show don't tell. But yeah, because also yeah. his wife is the one who describes like the pistol and the lake, right?
0: Yeah. And also, I just think it's really sociopathic, but I guess in service of the law, that he's he like set up this entire thing where he made his wife pretend to be Hortense's friend for uh-huh. several months just in order to entrap her. Was yeah, wasn't Hortense living with
1: the yes. and she's Yeah. Yeah, that's so I guess he's a good detective if he's willing to go to that length. But. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, right. A little. And when we go little first, little go rash. to
2: their house in the narrative, he, they describe him like berating her. That he's like <coughs> not only a shitty husband, but like a sh- or not only a shitty uh, detective, but also like a shitty husband to her.
0: Yeah, he's just a he's a i mean i could see him being if we talk about gritty reboots later i could see him in the in the gritty reboot being like the top anti-hero cop like and he's Uh divorced from his wife and she's has her own retirement's coming up i hope nothing
2: bad happens
0: (laughs) chris rock what are you
2: doing here
0: (laughs) not even played by chris rock it's just a character (laughs) named chris rock much as there was a character in this book named michael jackson so you know that's uh so okay so lady deadlock did not kill talking horn but hortense tried to make people think she had and she is informed that there are suspicions about her so she flees the house she makes it clear to and uh to sir lester also sir lester finds out from mr bucket all of lady deadlock's illegitimate uh-huh. child-bearing past so lady deadlock's like let me flee into the snow with all my guilt forever yeah all i have left to do is die the snow. <laughs> everybody's just walking yeah. off into the snow in this book <laughs> It's true, it's so true. Like, okay, so I found her death scene extreme, like the most unsatisfying part of this whole book. Uh, I don't know how uh, did you guys feel yeah, about
2: it. Yeah, also pretty bad because it's like, well, there she is, she's died.
0: I couldn't
1: believe that we spent an entire chapter like racing to Boythorns, where ostensibly Lady Dalek was headed. Uh-huh. Uh huh. They uh-huh. stop at all these different houses like along the way. They stop at inns. And then Mr. Buck is like, oh, wait, I was wrong. And they turn immediately back only to find her dead. And I was just like, why did we waste, just waste right. this entire chapter Like all right. this we time have... and Go nothing ahead. came of it?
0: And also, I was just, it's also super unsatisfying to find out the reason that they did that, which is that Jenny, the mother of the dead baby from very earlier in the book, and Lady Deadlock, switched clothes and it was Jenny that was running around in the countryside so they were following and it's like Uh I was so (laughs) yeah (laughs) what okay how does Lady Deadlock know these people (laughs) it also didn't make any sense to me that Lady Deadlock would even bother with that level of subterfuge if she thought she was just gonna walk out into the snow and die and I do it also doesn't really she didn't seem to me like the type of woman who would give up like that because she spent all of her life in this whole book being this icy cold determined woman who says things like ah yes they're outside uh-huh. and they shot a rat like she is a strong <laughs> woman and I just can't imagine her being like it's time for me to be dead I could imagine her right. being like it's time for me to fake my death and then or like go to Virginia. it's time to be dramatic <laughs> but not
2: necessarily <laughs> like I'm gonna really get them by like freezing to death. <laughs>
1: yeah honestly uh i mean this sort of permeates the whole section the final section that we read but i got the vibe that dickens just wanted to end this book and (laughs) didn't know how and he just got real lazy he literally titles one chapter a discovery and then the very next chapter is another discovery (laughs) (laughs) so i don't know i i don't know i think after uh you know 60 page or 60 chapters dickens was like well lady of died i don't know what to (laughs) (laughs) say
0: That's more or less what happened, too. Is she dies. Esther's like, my mom's dead. In the next chapter, she's like, no, nah, I won't bore you with the <laughs> details of this super important event in my life. Instead, I'll just say, like, I was sick. Anyway, <laughs> moving on from all of that.
1: I can't believe Esther yada yada her mom's death.
0: It was ridiculous. Uh, so what was, what was the point of the deadlocks in this book? What did that storyline mean to you? Why do you think Dickens included it?
1: Uh, I mean, I don't know. Was he trying to humanize the rich, Maybe. I mean, I don't know. Uh, I sort of wondered that when it got to a lot of um, after Lady Dedlock fled, and we had the chapter with Sir Lester in, I believe they're in their town in London, or their their house in their London. house in London. Yeah. Um, and Sir Lester gets sick, ostensibly with you know heavy, a heavy case of gout, but also sadness, uh, sadness about his <laughs> wife. Um, and then you get kind of humanizing a humanizing of him. Although, not much credit goes to uh, Volumnia. Volumnia? Who Dickens describes as with a predestined aptitude for doing something objectionable. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, Lady Deluxe served the purpose of being Esther's mom, I guess,
0: but... I mean, I think there was something that he was trying to say with Le- Sir Lester forgiving her. Because he spent this entire time as this blowhard guy who has all of these opinions that even though the rest of the world can tell they're outdated. Like he's like, no one will defeat my, my party in the elections. And then they get totally like knocked out, um, like decisively defeated. And he just can't understand that the opinions he has about the world are wrong and old. Um, and he's so worried about status and his family, but this thing that is scandalous for the time, he's like, don't care. Forgive her. I forgive her. I forgive her completely. And he, he's trying to get Bucket to find her so that forgiveness can be communicated. And I think that's, that is really humanizing of Sir Lester. Anyways, he has this chance to do it. And, um, and Lady Deadlock crucifies herself anyway, because she's so guilty that I think she's like, I guess yeah. I'll just die. Eh, whatever about that. Um, Yeah, no, that's, that's my main point is that there is something I'm trying to tease it out a little bit. I'm not sure how I'm trying to say it, but. About them achieving a little bit more humanity there, instead of just being yeah. someone to make fun of.
1: Yeah, I think they're at the by, by the end they're treated more like Dickens treats the, um, you know, lower class characters that he seems more interested.
2: Yeah, I thought it was a yeah. little bit of like, man, imagine if all of this could have been avoided if we just accepted that sometimes people are born without their parents being married.
0: Yeah, that's I. Th- I was that's. Why I was kind of thinking like maybe there is a social issue aspect to it that he makes a character like Sir Lester, forgive it, being like maybe your really? racist uncle like <laughs> could come around totally. on this issue on Thanksgiving. <laughs> you know, like it's sort of that thing is that even if this guy can do it, yeah, then maybe I think everyone that there was definitely
2: th- there's some nuance to that that we're missing as 21st century readers. But I th- I, I imagine that that was like hey, you know what sometimes people are born out of wedlock and that's okay. Maybe not as glib as that, but like,
0: yeah.
1: I... <laughs> is that why their last name is deadlock? What? problems oh. with wedlock. I don't know. Oh. Oh. I always thought that that had something that's to do with it.
0: That's... Probably. I mean, that's obviously what half the people in the totally. book are named for those kinds of reasons. Um, so Nabokov says in his preface to my, in my version, in his preface to the book that, uh, the romance plots are really uninteresting to him, and he doesn't care. And I would say that's a little bit like the 20th-century canonical let's all be dudes version of how to read <laughs> books, and that's lame. Um, but apparently a lot of people don't really care about Esther or the Lady Deadlock sort of connection situation thing. What would this book have been like if she if the Deadlock storyline wasn't as important or even if they weren't in it? What would it have been about?
1: I I don't know.
0: It's so interesting because I right. see that in criticism. Oh. It's like, what is this book
1: about to people? Like, th- those are the only two mysteries. That who is Esther's mom, and then we figure out it's Lady Deadlock, and then who killed Tulkinghorn, which is entirely wrapped up in the Deadlock mysteries. So I now, have one more. What?
2: is What the fuck is that court case about?
0: We right. never we... learned. A will is involved. Right. I thought They found another right. one at the end.
2: I honestly <laughs> thought until the, like, last ten pages that, that we were going to get some resolve about that.
0: That was so funny. I actually thought that, I, was I really liked that. an incredible uh, twist of Dickens to be like, oh, you thought that they were going to get this court case solved and they were going to find the will and everyone's going to live happily ever after? Nope. Actually, it ended because they all ran out of money. <laughs> it's and, and done. It literally
1: kills a character. <laughs> yeah.
0: Which I think was his point, Ben, is he created that expectation in us that there was going to be a resolution and that that's how fiction works, right, at this time is that It's very, un. you're not going to have a book that metaphorically ends in the middle of a sentence. There isn't going to be something that there's always, someone gets punished, Mm. someone gets rewarded, a story ends. So the idea is that these virtuous good people are going to get what they deserve and even richard is going to come back to the fold yeah but instead it ends totally absurd in a complete absurdity which is they think they found this magic will that's going to solve the case and instead oh we didn't even get our chance to bring it into court because it turns out that the estates that we're fighting over are all empty so no one gets anything case and over. everyone
1: else in the court is just laughing yeah and it's like a party inside
0: that was so absurd that
1: was and so surprising yeah, that was the only thing I really that was the only ending that I enjoyed in this book
0: and I, I mean um, I think he wanted us to um, to know that like this court yeah. is absurd and you cannot get a resolution in cha- the Court of Chancery is nonsense
1: I do have a question related to this uh, do you think Dickens knew how these plot lines were going to end when he started no
0: because
1: uh, I've been thinking a lot how this a lot of a lot of the classics uh, particularly 19th century are were written serialized uh month to month and this one you know this one must have spanned two years basically yeah um and i've been thinking of it like in the context of a tv show when a lot of times you start when you start uh when writers start a season of television they don't know necessarily how it's going to end or they don't have the long picture they sort of they have arcs general in mind but they fill in the blanks as they go i really i really don't think uh dickens knew hortense like knew hortense was going to kill tolkien horn when he wrote that plot uh i bet he knew deadlock was lady Esther's mom i think that's the only major plot line he knew Mm -hmm. um and he probably yeah he probably got of most of the way through this book realized he wasn't setting up any sort of resolution for the court case and said i'm not gonna have a resolution (laughs) i
0: I wonder if that's it but i also think he probably did want to make the point that this court is pointless
2: yeah (sighs)
0: i mean he he started the book with being like this dumb right. court it <laughs> right. never solves anything and like m- many of the major characters are characters who have wasted their whole lives waiting for resolution and they don't get it
1: another character a character we never meet literally blows his brains out waiting for this yes.
0: court. okay well when you uh, guys so- explain
2: it i like it better but i was just so like i mean i really liked her ending mid-sentence but I still felt like, yeah. oh, come on. Like, I was so hoping that the court case was going to be, like, the, the key to why all of this has gone down.
0: That's another question I have is... Is this book – like, how much really changes in this book? Because at the beginning, Jarndyce is like, this is – don't get involved with the court. It's bad. Richard get in, gets involved, and it is bad. It kills him. And then Richard dies of sadness. Of sadness. Oh, my God. There, I have to find the section – okay. Just, as I look through my book, discuss the question that Ben Cosman has proposed about Esther Jarndyce and family, about the end in which everyone lives happily ever after who's still alive. Is Jardis God?
1: Jardis is God. This, this is my theory. I mean, this is, this is an easy theory to any big book is that one character is always God.
0: And I, that's why I think this is so <laughs> annoying and I hate it. But
1: Jardis, particularly his relationship with Esther, he is first and foremost the guardian. And she refers to the, him as guardian throughout, even when she's sort of, in, well, definitely engaged. I don't think they ever actually formally get married. Um, but he, in turn, is Esther's guardian. He is her husband slash fiance. And at the end, he's even her father. And so, and he, you know, he's this, bene- he benevolently bestows good fortune onto everyone. He sort of is removed from everyone else's drama and just sort of bringing people in and shifting relationships around. And he's this master manipulator. He never wants to be thanked. He's always constantly fleeing when he's thanked. Um, Yeah, I don't know. He, he we don't have this great sense of him. He's sort of this omniscient, uh, powerful being that everyone looks to uh-huh. as being very good um, and finding goodness I think he's got
2: I love that I've, uh... I've never thought about that but like <laughs> some rich dude who's like absent all the time I guess that makes sense
1: <laughs> yeah and he, he I think at one uh, near the end when he betroths um, be- yeah Esther <laughs> uh, to Woodcourt he basically says don't thank me or I right. will leave again as if, you know, God deserting
0: his... Aren't uh, you supposed to thank God? <laughs> yeah, maybe. In your own way, <laughs> on
2: your private times.
1: <laughs> In your prayers.
0: I guess if you... I mean, I guess I I could understand this interpretation. I found that when we talked about Little Women, I think Mr. March being God makes way more sense. But sure, sure, sure. <laughs> uh, I would just... I think... It's deeply creepy that he goes from being Esther's fiance to like father figure within five minutes and is like, oh, when you were little, I wanted you to grow up and be my wife. But now that I am an adult, I realize that now that we're now you're also an adult, I realize that you should marry someone your own age. You're not
2: helping your own case here, dude.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, this is right. Now that you're an
2: adult, Uh, I kind of really don't care anymore.
0: (laughs) Well, okay so then but then i thought so when he's like surprise you're actually gonna marry woodcourt yay because you liked him and lied to yourself about liking him because you really wanted to do your duty and marry me because i raised you your whole life and basically coerced you into doing it through kindness which is screwed up
1: there's always the th- there's also the theory that esther marrying jarnice is basically like when the nuns marry god mm-hmm. and
0: i can understand live in the nunnery
1: that. and she's just the nun of bleak
0: house that is American i didn't think theory. about that
1: when
2: you
0: first said um, it yeah I, okay so richard dies um, I Just real quickly, I, Richard doesn't... R.I.P. Know, Richard. I, I don't care, but after the court case ends, because there's no more money left in the estates, uh, I, that, please enjoy this insane image. Um, Alan had found him, this is Richard, him being Richard, Alan had found him sitting in the corner of the court, she told me, like a stone figure. On being roused, he had broken away and made as if he would have spoken in a fierce voice to the judge He was stopped by his mouth being full of blood.
1: I read that and I said, wait, what? His
0: mouth, just, he was so, like, he has no disease. Was he biting himself? Maybe, but his mouth was so full of blood, he could not speak. I I really
1: came around on Richard. I like Richard so much more at the end of this book, when he's just sort of crazy and out of his mind. (laughs) Because he's the only character in this book that has any sort of passion. It's true.
0: Uh, It is true. And it kills him. Maybe
1: that's what Dickens would, maybe that's what Dickens' point. Like, don't care about things. Richard
0: dies. Ada's pregnant because they got secretly married. So Ada's pregnant and she, and Richard's dead. And I totally thought that Jarndice was going to propose to her instead. Because we know ain't nobody got problems with cousin marriage in this book. So I was like, he doesn't, he also wants to marry young girls. So he could just marry her. She does just go live at Bleak House and they don't get married in the book, but she does live with him. So, yeah. Yeah.
1: No, nah, but yeah, eh.
0: that's what I thought was going to happen.
1: That that would have been, yeah. I mean, I don't. I'm not saying Jardis is a good guy. I do not. <laughs> I do not like Jardis.
0: Uh, well. Speaking of other people we don't like, let's talk about which secondary characters had the best storylines. Uh, or, or if you didn't like their storylines, who deserves a sequel just about them? Like, I'm really glad that Skimpole like died nine years. He's like, and then he died nine years later after writing a <laughs> shitty <laughs> book about everyone. <laughs> and also John Jarrett stopped talking to him because he was an endless mooch. <laughs> like that was great. Um, I, I, you know, I think the Bagnet family was mm-hmm. really sweet. The Bagnet family
1: was really yeah. good. I was really, in, I was sort of confused as to why Mr. George became a, uh, a very prominent yeah, secondary nice character about. in the end of this book. He's, he, We find out he is Mrs. Rouncewell's son, Mrs. Rouncewell, the uh, housekeeper, head housekeeper at Chesney Wold. Um, and so Mr. George basically moves in and takes care of Sir Lester, brings Phil with him. Phil becomes the groundskeeper, I think. Yeah. Um, but I really enjoyed... We had an entire chapter of Mr. George just going to visit his uh, his estranged brother, thinking that his brother wouldn't recognize him. Yeah. He just like shows up. He doesn't wear a disguise or anything. He just pretends to be not him like mr george doesn't pretends to be a different basically mr george's friend mm-hmm. thinking that his brother won't recognize uh-huh. him and then his brother's like george i know it's you <laughs> come on uh i liked it like like i said in a book full of you know terrible people he was one of the least terrible it's true it's i liked true. his storyline
0: yeah i liked it too and of course i yeah. like caddy jellybee's story Caddy
1: Jellybee. i wanted more from her yeah uh and I want to, you know, I miss Boythorn. Again, we almost go to Boythorn's house and we don't get any of it. Just
0: the serpents are but there. But
1: we, uh, we get some at the end, or a description at the end, where uh, Esther says that Boythorn continues to be mean and start <laughs> fights with Sir Lester just so Sir Lester will have something to do.
0: Yeah, I actually thought it was that. Like, yeah. oh,
1: that was heartwarming. I said, Boythorn's oh, nice. It's
0: sweet. Yeah. I I, I want to read, okay, two sequels. I want to read a sequel about uh, Mrs. Jellybee's fight for equal, for women in parliament. Yeah, she
1: becomes a, like a suffragette. Which basically. again,
0: I am so in, like, on a sympathetic story about Mrs. and how she's actually just rebelling against the domestic conventions of her time, but she can't, she doesn't know how to do it, so she just does it by being really distracted. And she's, just, like, definitely a bad mom um, and, like, not a committed person, but that's complex and interesting. Yeah. Um, and I need a whole, I, I'm just going to write this series about Mrs. Bucket, private eye. <laughs> <laughs> she's
1: a much more compelling detective than her husband.
0: Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: And Ben,
2: yeah, just more straight to the point and doesn't have to, like, I don't know, freeze orphans to death to get the answers that you want.
0: <laughs> ben, who are your favorite secondary characters or who do you want a sequel about? Uh,
2: that we haven't covered yet. I think that a uh, Sopranos like reboot of The Small Weeds would be great.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> wow. That's, I'm so into that. That's a really good yeah. idea. Also, like, because I think it would be funny to cast, like, a 12-year-old actor to be the littlest small <laughs> Bart, Bart Smallweed. Oh, absolutely. And to, like, go shaking people down for cats. Totally.
2: <laughs> yeah, and that, like, grandma and grandpa, like, secretly run London.
0: Yes. Oh, that's so good. Uh... What about uh,
1: Mrs. Flight? Lets her birds go
0: because the case is over. Yeah, that, that was kind of nice. And she's released her her own feelings a little bit. She won't be cu- sucked up by the case. Right. Anymore. It's like
1: when Michael
2: Jackson got acquitted of all those like charges <laughs> that they let those dubs down. <laughs> released <all>
0: the birds go. <laughs> yes, it's exactly like that. Yeah. So, <laughs> and Michael Jackson, the character in this book too, who right. wore a dope waistcoat with mother of pearl buttons. Um and <laughs> all right so we finished the book it was good i I enjoyed reading it i had a lot of fun reading it it kind of made me want to revisit some other dickens that i have Uh, it makes me want to read
1: more dickens because i want it to be better than this
0: um i think maybe we'll read oliver one day for the podcast because i think that's a pretty well-known dickens novel and it also has like elements of violence and realism in it yeah uh and it's like some bad some good people die not even just the bad ones so that'll be that'll be interesting. Um, but he's funny. Like
1: Dickens is so funny. Yeah, this was this was funny. If this wasn't funny, I would have been miserable in this book because, like we said, nothing really happens and nothing. There's not much character growth. Mm-hmm. Like I don't think any Sir Lester has a little bit of humility at the end. Uh, that's it, right? Yeah. Esther basically remains good the entire yeah. book. Jarndyce remains, you know, a benevolent lord. The entire uh, Ada
0: is like an afterthought to everyone. Ada life. is
1: never Richard goes crazy and dies. <laughs>
0: um, two things one, the body count in this book is eight people die. Oh, okay, Joe, Not her bad. aunt at the beginning, Talking Horn, Gridley, Crook, uh, Nemo, Lady Deadlock, and Richard dead. Um, the second thing is, I, I think that you're right that there's no character growth, but what really makes this book is the random secondary, tertiary, quaternary oh, yeah. characters. And I just want to read the last line of the Nabokov le- lecture in my book when, when he's talking about it, which is like why this book is great. What he, he, he also acknowledges a bunch of stuff in this that no one cares about, but the use of language is all really exciting. And like the rhythm of it is something that people should pay attention to. But also he says, this is why Dickens is a great writer to him. A great writer's world is indeed a magic democracy where even some very minor character, even the most incidental character like the person who tosses the two pence, has the right to live and breed.
1: Oh, that's interesting. Breed? <laughs> yeah. Because that brings me to a point that I wanted to bring up. And I was reading this very interesting New Yorker article. Oh, Listen, if, you will, okay. if you will excuse me. This
0: is quick. You have to do this quickly. <laughs> Go. So
1: there was a very interesting New Yorker article about uh, a philosopher guy uh, but basically an antinatalist, which I had never heard the term before, which is basically saying it is compassionate uh, to not have children and that it is a, you know, a moral uh, crime. I don't know what a moral. That's fine. Crime, I guess, <laughs> to have children, because it's not that. Well, it's that life is so bad, um, <laughs> but then death is also bad. So you don't want to be living and then kill yourself. But it's better to have never Jesus. lived at all. And I kind of think that's how Dickens feels in Bleak House. Because, I mean, we have Esther basically saying that multiple times where it would have been better for herself and the people in her life if she had never breathed.
0: Um, Joe.
1: Joe basically says that. Um, And, like, everyone in this book sort of suffers. And, yeah, I I, I mean, is that... Is it Bleak House because life is bleak?
0: Well... Is God allowed in this conception? Because you made Jardis God. <laughs> I did not make
1: Jardis God. Dickens made Jardis God. <laughs> okay,
0: but if, why would Dickens make Jardis God if life is pointless and there's no reason to live or be born? Uh, well,
1: I mean, Jardis is in this conception, right? So maybe Dickens is saying even God is pointless.
0: Wow. That's some mid-20th century French <laughs> business right there. Uh life is bad, death is bad, I think but you Dickens know Dickens is great? an anti-natalist. Do you know what's good? The Die of Death. Which is it's time to play our game. The Die of Death. We're gonna do it. We're gonna play uh one of six games based on this book. Uh we can play Wow This Got Racist or Sexist, which I've played every single time. Um, Who <laughs> Goes Nazi? Would you rather Pitch the bad, gritty reboot. Tell us the summary of your fanfic and the easiest game because there are no predictions left to make. Describe this book in three words or less. Ben, do you want to go first? I will go first. Why don't you roll? I'm going to roll for myself. Yeah. How exciting for you. Oh, I got a one. You got who goes racist
1: or sexist. Who? This got racist. Uh, well, this did. I mean, this got sexist in the way that Jarnas was creeping on little women, uh, (laughs) I mean, I guess we should have known by the fact that they call he calls Esther little woman his whole life um, and then decides to want to marry her. But for racist, I'm going to go with Jarnas again when he just randomly, or I guess, yeah, it was kind of random, just breaks out some anti-Semitism casually. Yep. Super uh, casually. I believe he's talking with Esther and uh, they're talking about Richard and they're saying um, we'd make him rich as a Jew if we could.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's just like, <laughs> oh, okay. Just some anti-Semitism there. Some Jewish stereotyping, sure, okay.
0: But the thing is, it's like never come up. Right, at that any is the only point.
1: only point in this book, really, yeah. when they drop that reference yeah. or that stereotype. And it was it was startling to me. Yeah. So.
0: It was startling to me, too. I was reading a Willa Catherine novel one time, and I was really into the entire book. And within the last five pages, there was just like a random racial <laughs> slur. And I was like, what? Yeah. They're like, right. st- it ruined the entire book for me. And like, it, this didn't really rise to that same level, but I was like, oh. And you're supposed to be the people that I like. I mean, I guess they weren't slavery (laughs) apologists like Skimpole, but terrible. Yeah,
1: like Jardis is a, yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, Ben, would you also like to roll for other Ben? Sure. All right. Do a good job. Six. Six. Describe this book in three words or less.
2: Ooh. Man, I wish I had come up with this beforehand.
0: You can think. Uh, I, I, we can vamp about natalism.
2: Yeah, vamp about...
0: anti-natalism.
2: <laughs> what? What is yeah, I, anti-natalism. <laughs> antinatalism?
1: Antinatalism. I had never heard it before. Um, but it's, uh, it's compelling. It's that basically life is even more miserable than we think because people are always hungry all the time or thirsty. Uh, we only want to be young and yet we uh, age mercilessly. Um, yeah. I think that the... I mean, <laughs> he didn't even bring up like he said. Even putting aside the facts, like that climate change is going to you know burn the planet and nuclear war is imminent. Um, yeah, well, that's <laughs> I. Th- I think Dickens would be an anti-natalist. Uh.
2: uh, I have a couple, but I think that they're probably more ta- taglines or alternate titles.
0: Oh yes, yeah, do it. Um, I, that's a better game. From now on, I'm going to make this list of alternate titles. Okay,
2: so yeah, I think. <laughs> There's uh, always, always, always get a receipt. <laughs> and the other one that I really like is Twenty Three and Me and Everyone We Know.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's good.
0: Wow, those are both really good. <laughs> also, those are good. Those are good titles for an eventual reboot. I, or
2: I, I think I'm going to take Twenty Three and Me and Everyone We Know and turn that into my own <laughs> something
0: yes about everyone's paternity or maternity or whatever yeah i'm very in uh all right i'm rolling for myself now five tell us the summary of your fanfic wow this is like the only one i didn't think about because i (laughs) never ever roll this um all right the summary of my fanfic, the, like what it would say in the little blurb for fanfics, which is the fan, abstract that it happens. I don't
1: know. Uh-huh.
0: Yeah. The abstract. The long line. Before
1: the fanfic
0: uh, would be, um, you're going to very clearly see who I'm obsessed with in this book, but uh, Mrs. Bucket thought her detective days were over after she divorced her husband. Little did she know that, mrs woodcourt the surgeon's wife would call her for her services involving a dead baby <laughs> Whoa. Wow. Whoa. what's
1: uh what's mrs bucket's maiden name
0: um mrs pale <laughs> it'd have to be the opposite it would have to, or, or compliment mrs miss trowel yeah miss trowel <laughs> <laughs> yeah yep it's gonna be the beginning of my private Eye Mrs. Bucket series, and she's just gonna, you know, solve a crime for Mr. and Mrs. Woodcourt, Esther and, and Alan. Uh-huh. Uh, uh-huh. yep. Yep, it'll be great. Uh, maybe she'll get some assistance from her plucky sidekick, uh Pee Pee. Pee-Pee! Yes! She needed a job, so she hired him.
2: Pee-Pee yeah. drives the getaway car.
0: <laughs> the getaway <laughs> carriage.
2: Getaway carriage.
0: Um, I had one major question. That is completely not related to anything that we've been talking about, but when Esther is driving around in the carriage with Mr. Bucket trying to find her mom, he brings her a tea and saucer while they're like on the road. Yeah. Well, how do you get a cup and saucer in the damn carriage? By like, being
2: a fucking G, that's how.
1: I, yeah, that whole that whole chapter was just very crazy to me. <laughs> yeah. It was like the most tense, but then came to nothing, and then also they just seemed to be stopping at random people's houses along the road.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: That was very. I liked
2: to, Yeah, and they visit everybody.
0: Yeah, that was like the moment of the book where they just were like let's remember all these other random people we once talked <laughs> to. Yeah. Uh, that was so. We did it. We read we Bleak finished House. Bleak House. Woo! I'm proud of us. I'm really proud of us too. It was a long month. Would you recommend this book to anyone else in your life?
1: No, mm,
2: not really. Unless they're like, "Hey, what's a good Dickens novel that isn't sad."
1: Oh, see, I think this book is sad. I think it's sad,
2: but it's more funny than sad. It's it's funny like, along the way.
0: Yeah. I mean, I liked this, and I probably would recommend it to people, but not as their first Dickens. Yeah, see, this was my first Dickens, so yeah. maybe that's
2: fine. Yeah, sure. yeah. yeah, I would definitely suggest uh, Tale of Two Cities.
0: Though I think Tale of Two Cities is more morally simplistic.
2: It is way more morally says, like, simplistic, oh, and so, yeah. like... Every other page. Some marquee is getting stabbed in the heart.
0: I guess that's (laughs) awesome though. Yeah. Uh yeah, I would just have liked
1: more action in this book. I don't know. Also, I think it would have been more interesting if the first person narration was from Lady Deadlock instead of Esther.
0: Interesting.
2: Way more interesting. Uh
0: well, we're gonna experiment with some a little bit of a different kind of fiction next time um we're gonna read Anne of Green Gables yeah, which I've never read and I've never read it either now Ben. so we will be reading Anne of Green Gables it's going to be much shorter one episode Light, only lighter read yes a much lighter <laughs> read uh YA YA novel uh just to get ready it's time for, I'm sure there's a great Christmas scene in it it seems like there probably is it seems probably. like a book that has that as we get ready for the winter holidays so thank you for joining us on our long long wandering journey through Bleak House and Ben Gullard please come back and join us for another book sometime
1: I would love that it was a pleasure having you Ben It's
2: been a pleasure being had.
0: (laughs) This is the end. Uh, Remember to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you get your podcasts. Please leave us a rating if you feel so inclined. You don't even have to leave a review. Just write the name of a book that you like. Any book. (laughs) Don't care. Just do it. Uh, it'll, It'll be so great. And we will talk to you next time.